before we start the show, I want to let you all know the views, opinions, beliefs, and statements expressed are not necessarily those of 22 West Radio and Otaku Hourly. They are, in fact, of the host, guest, and or caller. 22 West Radio and Otaku Hourly hold no responsibility for the validity and or accuracy of information. Now with that out of the way, here we go. Jonathan Josar Beltran here with the crew. Cliff. And we have a special guest over here for longtime listeners of the program. You know him well. It is Jeffrey of Datafist. He is back and he's going to be talking about one of his panels that he led and organized and spoke over at Anime Expo. And I'm actually going to have the Cliff actually lead this one so cliff would you do do us the honor oh it'll be more than just an honor it will be a pleasure great cool then i'll leave it to you my guy all right all right so adifist are you ready yeah let's do this okay so here's the first question for tonight what got you into anime and pop culture Oh, that's a fun question, because I asked the entire audience at the panel that same question. But what got me into it was, like, as a kid, I didn't really uh, go outside and hang out with kids, because my mom kind of, like, beat into me that our neighborhood was dangerous. It was not. Uh, <laughs> so I stayed in the entire time and was just looking for stuff to watch. And all of the kids that I connected with, like, as a kid, like, that's what they watched. They watched, you know, anime and stuff. And, of course, we had, like, four kids and stuff mm -hmm. so i didn't uh -oh. i didn't hit tsunami i didn't hit tsunami till i was like 16 because i didn't have cable so it was like four kids on saturdays four kids in the afternoon my first anime was like Yu-Gi-Oh and stuff like that and even before that i found anime on my own actually now that i think about it because on channel 56 i don't know if you've heard of this anime called dragon ball zeta <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up watching Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z in Spanish. Did I understand it? No. But it was the sickest thing I've ever seen. Side note, Frieza sounds the best in Spanish. So to keep it short, yeah, I, I grew up, I found anime on my own, and then I kind of really figured out what it was when I got to like grade school and people were watching it and I watched it because like I liked it and I wanted to connect with other kids. I'm not gonna lie, I was watching four kids too, but I was like a kid. I didn't really know better. But little did I know as I grew older, that scene is like like the Bing version of watching anime. Okay. It's not like Google. You got some like really crappy dubbing. Uh some of the uh, I heard I saw some some of the effects were not always on par. But along with say um Kids WB 
and Fox Kids, four yeah. kids, and yeah. Chet X. And oh god, I miss Chet X. But with four kids, it had like I it did show it did actually had played its part in introducing uh anime in its own way, but unfortunately yeah. in terms of like watching it dub, it's kinda like listening like it's having like your ears bleed. But unfortunately, <laughs> I, I respectfully disagree because as I grew older, I started learning about business thanks to like some friends that like really helped me out not too long ago, as well as just my pure passion for video games, which led to me understanding the culture of anime and as much of the business side as I can get. Um, and I don't think they were that bad. Like, and I don't think anyone thinks that they were that bad for the main reason that we watched them when we were kids. They didn't sound terrible when we were kids because it was our first like that was the first time we saw them. And to us, it was amazing. Pegasus being just a troll the whole time. Kaiba just being a spoiled brat the whole time. Metabots. All of it was not bad. And we also have to consider, like, at that time, what was happening is all of these companies were buying up shows from Japan and then putting them in English because two reasons. One, they wanted a new wave of cartoons that could, like, meet the mainstream media for kids, and they weren't producing fast enough. Like, Cartoon Network was doing stuff, but let's be real. Cartoon Network can only balance maybe four shows at a time, and the rest is Boomerang reruns at the time. And you can't show a lot of Boomerang shows to kids nowadays because during that time, there was this ridiculous parenting craze where, like, parents were pushing off parenting to TV shows. So, like, you can't show McGill Gorilla to kids. You can't show wacky racers to kids because there's heavy violence and murder mm. and really dark things like that. So when we start buying these Japanese shows that had the same thing in them, we had to deal with two things. One, American actors were not used to voice acting. Voice acting was still pretty new to American voice actors. And it wasn't as detail heavy as Japanese actors are. Like people cry in anime. People scream with real passion and pain in anime. And that wasn't common in American movies at the time. Like go back and watch the old Disney films. How much real passion is in them? Not much. It's like maybe a scene or two per movie. So a lot of actors just weren't ready for that hot, like strenuous level of emotional output in a cartoon yet. So I think that they were like, they yes, they're not amazing, but they're like the early days and they were great. And if you went back and watched them now, you'll get the nostalgia glasses on and they'd still be, you know, okay. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. And like I said before, as a kid, I actually didn't really pay attention, let alone care. Because I just want to watch the anime that actually that caught my attention. It's just that, like I said, when I just got older, uh, my you could say my cynicism kind of increased, and I saw like some of the bad moments there, like some of the like I said, part of some of the some of the dubbing there, also like how they a lot of censorship kind of ruined like some of the movie. But as you said, when you look back at it, it was like the early stage, like like a blueprint of how everything was going said and done. And even though today you may see them as corny, it actually did, like, it, however, did, in fact, play a role in introducing anime. So I will give credit where credit is due. Yeah. A lot of people did a lot of good work. Plus, like, to be fair, just because I want to bring this up before I totally forget, like, like I said, not a lot of that could exist because the Shadow Realm translates to death. Like, Yugi killed yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> they straight up died. Grandpa gone. He is not in Mirror World. Grandpa gone. He not come back. Like all you, that car shop got closed down. Nobody owns it. So some stuff did legitimately have to be put cut out because Japanese culture and American culture different so much in the media that they put out. 
Mm-hmm. That's where censorship comes in. And, and people that are complaining about censorship are adults. Okay. And if, you're, if my, if, if my caring. niece, yeah. It, it, yeah. If my niece went back and watched like, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh and it was not censored, I wouldn't want her watching that show. That's horrifying. But like the, the edited stuff works for a reason. You know, like the thing that I dislike about nerdy communities is I think that they have this like short sighted, short sighted and mindedness that really sucks. It's like, how dare they censor boobs in anime? And I'm like, well, because it was on a kid's channel and uh, kids are supposed to be watching it. It's not for you. Like how people complain about Pokemon being too easy. It's for six year olds. It's not for you. You're not the demographic. They're happy that you buy it, but it's not made with you in mind. I get it. I get it. I get it. And you, you know what? Like I said, I'll give credit where credit is due. And based on the demographic and also the audience they, they were uh, targeting to, I guess I can't really exactly be too harsh on it. Like I said, I'm just, I guess I'm just focusing on the now, how I see anime now in a more adult way compared to how I was as a kid. But still, you were right. Back then, it was towards more kids, so I can see in terms of the editing. Okay, okay. So, on to the second question. And this might be a little personal. How would you define black culture? Whatever black people do long enough becomes black culture. That's all culture is. Culture is like whatever group of people does something long enough, that becomes culture. Like culture nowadays is like everything is internet and texting and in video form. If you are outside, of, if you're not doing that, you're outside the culture. Like I'm a content creator. If I'm not making content, I'm outside the culture, you know? So it's whatever a group of people does long enough that makes that, that's what creates culture. Here's the thing about black culture. It's so, oh man, it's so sectional now. And I think that's amazing uh, because there's more ways that black people can define themselves. Uh, I think that's great. Um, like there's like the whole black excellence movement where everyone's trying to own businesses, buy things and present themselves as like the best form or the peak of what a black person could be. Um, and I think black excellence is great. It gives an example of like what life could be if you work hard enough, if you make relationships and if you just like go on the path of whatever you think excellence is like Part of the goal for me to be a content creator is I just want to be a content creator in a group, in a sea of other content creators that don't look like me. You know, that's just a personal <laughs> little goal. Um, other thing, other things that are like very black culture is black culture is pretty bombastic. It's pretty loud. And I don't mean that in like a negative way. We, we, we've learned to do things that, that are just so celebratory. It's fantastic. And that comes with good and bad. So, like, since we're so good at being big, loud, celebratory, fantastic, we learn quick, we adapt quickly, that also goes into, like, the other direction. So, all of these sections of being black are fantastic. It's black excellence, black nerds, rappers, ballers, um, you know, some, there's, like, an interesting little finance section now, entrepreneurs, there's just so many sections, um, so what I think black culture is, is just black people doing what they want to do. <laughs> that's that's kind of what it is. It's, it's celebration, doing what you want to do. And of course, I think family is a big part of black culture as well. But 
it kind of just depends on where you are. Like French black culture doesn't equate to American black culture. Hell, even California black culture doesn't equate to like Miami black culture. Like, <laughs> so it's, it's whatever you want to do for a long enough period of time, because I don't want to put anyone in a box and black people tend to just break out of boxes that they're put in basically instantly in, in the, in the compare comparison of time. So that's what I think it is. I think it's people doing what they want to do for a long enough period of time. And there's lovely little sections that you can put yourself in if you want to. Well, the reason why I ask is because there's actually like there's there's three sections. There's African, there's African American, and then there's black. So I want to know how would you define the word black? Like what do you mean by black? And then what it turns with culture. That's why I was wondering, like, how would you mm -hmm. actually think of the word black and then how would you actually combine it with culture? So if you want me to like break it down by words, you, you can't. You, you just mm. can't. And the reason I'm telling you this is because, like, if you look back at black history, let me ask you a question. Don't take this as the whole wrong way, but I'm going to paint a very clear example of what I'm saying. When's the last time you called your dad a Negro or your mom a Negro? I can't remember. I never really. Exactly. But, like, in the 50s and 60s and maybe even early 70s, Negro was a word that we tossed around, like, like it was candy and I'm not saying mm -hmm. everyone did that, but it was a common word for people to use. Now the new word, which I'm not going to say on the show for very, very clear reasons right, right, is, is, right. a word, is a word we throw around. So we have to understand that like things change consistently. And that's mm -hmm. why I kept my answer pretty vague because black culture is, is something that we keep shifting rapidly. Early 50s, 60s and 70s black people were their culture was to just survive survive celebrate life uh get into music because that was black excellence at the time get mm -hmm. and just get a job not even a mega just get a job pay your bills a job that is that was black excellence in the 60s 70s maybe even the 50s if you were lucky um and then the 80s and 90s hit and we had that whole incursion of like just you know kind of society crashing down on us in the americas and mm -hmm. black excellence then became, are you in jail? Right. Fantastic. <laughs> like, yeah. And then you have late 90s, 2000s, and onward, and black excellence changed into, did you go to college? Do you have a job? How are, how are your family relations? That was black excellence. It just, it keeps shifting every 10 to 20 years. So it's, it's basically, like I said, whatever someone does long enough creates the culture. Now, if you want like my definitive example of what I want black culture to be to me, black culture is a culture that is consistently updating and changing itself to be positive for its own people. We're still loud. We're still awesome. We can be a mix of professional and not politically correct. Cause as a people, we're generally <laughs> not, you've been to a cookout. It's fun. It just is <laughs> my, I was, I was at I was at a dinner and it was me, my grandma, my great aunt, and my mom and her fiance. And my my uncle decides to go, hey, hey, mom, my grandma, do you know what a WAP is? And I'm just sitting at the oh, table like, no. dude, what are you doing? You're a marine and you're no. a and you're one of the greatest nurses in existence. What are you doing? Because he can, you know, that's how we are. We're both we're both amazing professionals, but we know how to have fun. To me, that will forever be what black culture is. is it, we as people know how to have fun and we as people know when to like do the things that we need to do 
because that's just always what it's been. We do the things that we need to do. We get educated. We go to work. But we always have fun. Cookouts, anime, all kinds of stuff. That's what black culture is. That duality. Getting things done and having fun. That's my version of black culture. Okay. I can respect that. I respect that. That That is your own opinion and take of what black culture is. And you know what? Like, as as you said, has, as time goes on, we evolve along with it. At least. I hope so, to actually understand one's point of view <laughs> instead of her own. And also, folks, be careful with that word he just said. I he like that that word, that W word, just just be very careful with that word. It has a different meaning if you take it in a negative way. Wait, so there's a there's a there's a negative version of WAP. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. no, okay. Well W A P. No one no one's no one's thinking, no one's used that word since like what the the 60s and if you have what you're probably like 95 yeah but still even yeah i feel it like disclaimers man, we, still, we still want to keep that in the box you know just i'm just saying i'm not so, even kidding i bet everybody listening to this doesn't know what that is because no one reads history as much as we did <laughs> probably not I actually looked up racial slurs on Wikipedia once, like uh, sometimes in my own spare time. I actually and I see like a few words I never heard of, and they're dumb. They're not smart words at all. Pro yeah, they're all really dumb. It's time for me to yeah, do some really. research, guys. <laughs> Good luck, Jojo. Uh, look, we look what we done. Uh, <laughs> so on to the third question, and I think you may actually like this one, and I okay. and I personally want and I personally want to know about this one too. Do you have a favorite quote unquote black anime character and why? Um no. <laughs> the reason why I don't have a favorite like black anime character is just because I know this is like a really like annoying thing that political people say. I kind of grew up not really caring about races. Like at like literally at all. I think I was extremely lucky as a kid in terms of like how I interacted with people. And that's thanks to my mom. Shout out to my mom. She she like really cared about me as a kid because my eyes are my eyes like aren't as great as everybody else's. So I got shipped off to a different school. And even as a kid, I just interacted with people differently. Like every morning in grade school, there was this janitor who was really nice to me. And all he did was speak Spanish to me. Like and he taught me Spanish. And I and I knew like good Spanish for a while, which made watching Dragon Ball Z in Spanish awesome because I could understand it. And then, Dang you know, it. middle school hit. And then I started meeting Filipinos, and they taught me Tagalog and about culture. And then I started, like, you know, late middle school, I got shipped off to a different school, and I was around Asians, uh, Ar like, Armenians. Like, I just spent so much time in other people's cultures, you know, because, like I said, I didn't really interact with that many people, and I didn't really interact with my family in a way that, like, people would consider healthy. Like, I didn't have a bad home. I just preferred to be in a room by myself playing Pokemon. So uh, I spent yeah. all of my time with other people in other cultures. So like for me, for a long time, it, there wasn't a like urge to like be represented in shows. I, I just did that didn't start happening until like my mid 20s when I started making my own movies and working with the Academy and making commercials. That, that's like a recent thing. But as a kid, I just I didn't care. I thought if you were cool, it doesn't matter what race you are. Um but, like, if I had to, like, give you an answer about my favorite, like, black character. Okay, so this is hard for me because, like, you know, it just is. Okay, I will say, because this is a difficult, the best looking, in my opinion, the best looking black anime character is Coffee. Oh, my God, Coffee looks good. Coffee from, 
from Cap- oh my god when she yes. steps into that car yes. bro, bro, yes. coffee looks amazing <laughs> okay and then if i had to go with my favorite like this one isn't an anime character it's a cartoon character i don't care i'm sorry black dynamite right. is my favorite oh, <laughs> he's, wow. he's, yes. he's the funniest yes. thing ever and it, and he's based off of black exploitation films and yes, he does it is. so well, I love it. They do not hold anything back. He fights Mr. Rogers, and he talks like our grandpa. What did I tell you about interrupting me during my kung fu? Like, like no, it's just it's too sick. So best, yeah, best looking coffee. Favorite character that is black is going to probably just straight up go to Black Dynamite. Hey, Black Dynamite, I, I love Black Dynamite, and I will also say too, he kind of works within the anime sphere because uh, Studio Trigger worked on their second season opening. So, yeah. guy's amazing. Yeah, he exactly. even just refers to him I'll... in third person. So, so yeah, baller, love yeah, him. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say like the moment you mentioned Black Dynamite, I was saying. You made JoJo happy because he loves Black Dynamite, and not just. And I didn't just watch the show; I also watched the movie. That's okay? right. Yeah. Michael, that's right. Yeah, with Michael J. White, I was like, I never heard of Black Dynamite until I was like in high school, and I watched the movie, and I was laughing my butt off. And then I actually heard that they were making a, a animated show about it. I'm like, oh, I gotta see this. And man, so it good. Make- it did not disappoint. It just What's... Took, it took black exploitation and they just stretched it out and they made it to like like ah man, it was it was it was funny, it was unapologetic, and it was just it was just like like if I wanna say black anime, black anime along with the boondocks you know it goes hand in hand with that in that in that demographic in that category uh, and it like kind of leads back to like the the black exploitation films which is super important um like black exploitation is a, is kind of a difficult topic to talk about because it's it's in the name it's like exploited black people made these like really interesting or kind of controversial movies and barely got paid for it and what's crazy what's crazy about black exploitation is black people knew this they they were under no you know illusions that okay i'm gonna be a movie star off of this like some of them were hoping a lot of them were hoping and a few of them really made it from black exploitation like and the fact that there's like this huge beautiful culmination in this like great show that like says hey yeah this stuff sucked but we can make it funny and it did lead to some good and it did change the culture in really interesting ways where like it was still like we were still failing in in a certain way but we were failing upward in a fantastic manner where there were black people learning how to make films what you know that's 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 such a that's such a high income hobby to have and then black people who were who didn't have a ton of money at the time found a way to do it what are you what are you talking about that's like that's like people from like a hundredth street onwards building a rocket out of like cardboards and that stuff makes it to the stratosphere that's what it was like so i i love it especially since it goes back and reaches back into history and makes something beautiful out of it yeah like despite how obvious they were making in terms of like you said black exploitation black exploitation is pretty much like showcasing you know stereotypes of black people in america but at the same time, we actually use that to our, to our advantage to actually make it pretty much 
not only well grained in pop culture, but also we, it actually helped change the game in terms of how we look at um, films. Like, also, we actually pretty much never really had like a black lead until, ironically, black exploitation pretty much introduced those. Like, we had Foxy Brown, we had Shaft, and later down the line, there was like kung fu movies that actually integrate with black exploitation, and then we had actually like, characters like Jim Kelly. I love the dude. Rest his uh, God rest his soul. He actually and like you know it just like I guess you could say black rotation is like a sponge. It we not just only just pretty much create our own thing, but we also took bits of different things to actually add into it to make it even more well known as to the point that we know what black exploitation is was compared to what was back then. So I say yeah, it, it really did actually play the game in terms of showcasing how we are how how far we came and so and how we actually create something that is ours and later down the line became, create something that was revolutionary i agree all right so cool and okay so, yeah and we're actually gonna go into jeffrey's panel right after the break want you to listen to otaku hourly or anything Baka. show host jonathan joestar beltran with a cliff and our special guest jeffrey aka data fist welcome back to your backdoor anime hangout that is otaku hourly we are with our special guest jeffrey of data fist talking about his panel over at AX, and Cliff is going to lead this one. Go ahead. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, now, I actually want to move on to when I first met you during the panel, and these is actually some of the questions now regarding to what you demonstrated in the panel. So, and I'm actually a little excited for these. I'm actually excited for all the questions I asked that me and Jonathan, but mostly me, put down. But these in particular are the ones I actually am curious to hear what you got to say. What motivated you to choose black culture and anime as your panel title for AX? When I was putting together the two panels, I honestly was thinking about stuff that I wanted to see. I literally was not thinking hard at all. I, I just went, okay, I want to do this panel, which was my panel the next day. And then I want to do anime and black culture. And I literally imagined what happened in that room, which was just us being awesome for an hour. And, you know, showing off like cool black characters because why not? And what's really interesting too is um, I wasn't even, ex you know, I wasn't expecting a room like just like full of black people. I was, I was honestly hoping we get like a mix of everyone, which we did, yay. But what what brought it up is literally it's just a panel that I wanted to see, and I I like I said at the start of the panel, I do not like panels. I think panels are boring. I think they are a waste of time, and that's only because I've been going to conventions since I was like twelve, and I really preferred like not going to them because I they weren't fun. So I made an mm. effort to make sure it's something that I wanted to do so I could make it fun for everyone that came. So that's why I chose anime and black culture because it's fun i can make it fun and it was a show to me not a panel i just had to put panel so they wouldn't like reject it <laughs> i like that i like that you 
instead of seeing as a panel, you turn it into a show. I like that. That's that's I like that. That's kind of really like almost like a breath of fresh air because I kind of get what you were saying. Like in going to panels, you actually you're excited for the event because you want to go there, but at the same time, it can get rather dull and sometimes sometimes lethargic. But it's um. But yeah, you actually did made it into a bit of a show, and I actually really did appreciate that. And actually, you you pretty much actually, in a sense, answered the second question. I was going to ask you, uh, what did you expect and how did it go? But like I said, you kind of pretty much answered that with the first well, one. Regarding I can kind of I can kind of go into more detail for that one. So like, I honestly was not expecting anyone to come. I was like, if there's one person, I'm happy. Yeah. So I was like, I was like, I'm probably going to get like five people, and that's fine. Because, like, if, if we get five people, I can still do a show with, like, one to five people in the audience. I don't really care. I was literally expecting very few people to come. The reason why is because there's a history of, like, conventions not really advertising fan panels. Just, like, at all. So, I was doing all the work myself, like, two weeks before. I had to make my own flyers. Um, you know, the Twitter post that, that they posted was just, like, a line of text. I'm like, has anyone used Twitter before? Like... This is not going to work. And and they didn't tell me like, hey, we need this from your to make the Twitter post better. And it also just was not SEO optimized. So I was just like, all right, fine. I made my own stuff when I was at the convention. I was posting like stories and and like I think a reel or two and I posted it on TikTok. So I was just like and I wasn't. And at the time, I like my Internet was garbage. So I, all I can do is really upload. So I couldn't see my analytics in real time. And even if I could, analytics usually come like a couple hours later. And at that time, I was just too busy talking to friends and, you know, meeting new people and telling them about the panel in person. So I literally was like, I'm going to get five people. That's fine. And then I went into the room and they let in the people who have disabilities first. And I was having fun talking to them. And I was just like, you know, I was just trying to like get a gauge. And I was like, hey, how many people are outside? I bet the line's pretty short. And the lady and the lady in the front, she was so great. Her art's great. If you're watching this, your art's amazing. She's like, no, that, that line's pretty long. It's getting longer. And I'm like, I don't believe you. She's like, no, seriously, the line's huge. And it's like, it's not even, it's, it's like out the hallway. Like there are people just standing outside. And I was like, sure. And then the doors open and I'm doing pre-show mm -hmm. trying to make people laugh. And then people just keep coming in and they keep coming in. Seats are getting filled. Seats are getting filled. And I was like, and then it stops. And I'm like, okay, this is probably the crowd. And it's like, you know, like four rows. And I just remembered how I got into that room where you have to, there's the big outside like lines that like wrap around like a tail and they have like access control. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. They have to take those people through the back up the stairs to get to my panel room. And I didn't, mm -hmm. I totally forgot that until I'm like a few seconds into starting getting ready to fully start. And then more people just start flooding in. And I'm like, what is happening? And I'm like telling jokes. And I'm just watching people come in and I'm like, why are there so many people? Oh, this is, this is awful. Like, not really, but I'm like, I am not fully prepared for like a full audience. I was expecting five people. I'm going to tell some like, you know, use my comedy experience to bounce off of them. But no, just a room full of people. So I, I didn't expect anything because the cons didn't really help in terms of marketing, which I'm sure is not their fault. I don't think they have a marketing department. Uh, I don't think they prioritize that, but it, it just like really kind of bummed me out. And so I did my own work and luckily it paid off so um 
you know, that that's that's kind of what I was expecting. And what I got was a room full of 200 plus people. Uh, and it was amazing. I mean, you can be surprised that even though if the marketing strategy from AX side they may not have actually come all the way through for you, like I said, you could be surprised how many people, especially in your panel, black people, black anime fans, wanted to actually go into a panel that actually has, that, that literally said the title, black culture and anime. You know, like that title alone is self-explanatory for people who are interested to actually know what's the connection of the two. And... Yeah, like I and I actually like I was trying to figure out while I was volunteering what panels I want to get into. I actually was having a hard time trying to get into a panel because of my conflict of schedule, because of my conflict of schedule as a volunteer. And I actually looked up just randomly on the app that there's actually one called Black Culture and Anime. And for and without hesitation, I'm like, yeah, I'm going because luckily I was off the clock. I was done with the hours for the day. And every, while everyone was going home, I was still at the convention and wanted to see this panel. And I'm glad I did because I got to meet Data Fist. And little did I know that he actually had a connection with uh, Otaku Hourly. So I don't know. I don't know if this was like sort of like uh, it was convenience or it was just like a once in a lifetime chance of an opportunity to meet someone who actually knows us. But I just still had the feeling, regardless if I knew or not, that yeah. Black culture and anime. That's a no-brainer. I want to see this. Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful because that was, it was wild. You know, I, like I said, I was expecting like one to five people and then everyone just, yeah. <laughs> everyone showed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you know, like, you should be proud of that, man. That you I were am. Expecting, you, you were expecting five, but you got like, now what? It was like, how many people about, in there? It's close to 300. Both rooms that I got for both of my panels are about 300 seaters. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's how I felt. <laughs> the guy, the guy who was doing, um, who was doing volunteering for our room was really nice. Like you guys can stay here as long as you want. I was there till like one in the morning, just talking to as many people as possible. It was awesome to just see all of them and talk to all of them. They're all really fun people. How was researching and preparing for the panel like? Oh, it was difficult. And the main reason why it's difficult is because, like, the building the panel came in stages. And I, I just, like, I'm kind of a showman. So the first, like, iteration of, like, any idea is usually hot garbage. So I was, like, or at least just too basic for my liking. So the first iteration of the, like, you know, panel was just going to be, look at all these black characters that you probably forgot about. Ooh, panel. And then I was... <laughs> And then I was sitting down and like making the slides and stuff. And I was like, Ooh, I have this idea I, to be fair. I'm a procrastinator. Like some, for some reason I just put stuff off unless I like put a date on it. Um, so like I was, I was working on the slides the day or two before. And then I was like, Oh, I have this idea. Oh, I have this idea. Oh, I want to bring this up. I want to bring this up. How can I make this funny? How can I make this fun? So like the first portion was me gathering as many like, black characters as i could and i was like oh what if we separate the men and the women and i thought that was a great idea and then luckily that panned out um but because i waited so long i couldn't get a a, a male video together so i focused on the female because I, I knew that would go way further than the males um then i just started adding stuff that i think would be really fun i added i added a game that was like not politically correct because it was fun 
and I knew people would like it. And uh, also, I was right. So it wouldn't matter at the end. I think it was fun. I think I showed, uh, luckily, some people in the audience were recording because uh, my recording is, is like of me and it's not very good. But someone was recording the game where we play like who's actually, you know, who's black. And the one that made all of my friends go, why did you do this was Wonder Woman. They're like, they're like, why oh. did you do this? And then it was a bait and switch because the new Wonder Woman is Nubia and she's black. So it doesn't matter yeah. if you think she's black or not. And I was just like, this is too fun. This is the most fun I'm going to have for a while. And um, so ideas just kept piling on. And then luckily, like, I ran out of time. So I just had to go with the ideas that were the most fleshed out. Okay, I needed some games. I needed some talking points. I want to show, like, a video. I had to put that video together myself because, you know, editing skills. It was not difficult. Luckily, I got that done. And, you know, I wanted to, like, give a full experience. I wanted to make people laugh, so I told some jokes. I wanted to give some history, so I brought up X-Men and all of that stuff. I wanted to make people feel special, so I focused on the female video. And, you know, I wanted to really like let people not just like listen to me so i i gave the questions out to the audience because i figured one thing that really put put that thing that panel forward was like what do i not like about panels let's get rid of it how can we make it fun and, and i think the best was like the let's chat moment like everything i did i think was fun and great but i think the let's chat moment meant the most because tons of people go to panels and they don't talk to each other afterwards i'm like what are you doing you're in a room full of 300 people make at least one or two friends. So I'm, I'm glad I did that. Cause people like started making friends after that. And some of us were there till like two in the morning. So what went into it was just like, just layers of ideas until I literally ran out of time. And then the next one's going to be even better because people were really kind enough to come up to me and afterwards and go, dude, I love this panel, but I'm really interested in this. And I'm really interested in this. I'm really interested in this. And then one of the things that a lot of people were super interested in is like the music aspect. And that's going to be really interesting because a lot of people like don't know that a lot of the stuff that we listen to, especially Yoko Kano, goes back to like Harlem jazz. So that's going to be really fun to integrate into like the next one. So yeah, that was what it was like putting it together. It was chaos, and then I just ran out of time. <laughs> Luckily, it came out good. Very nice, very nice. So, what would you say is the connection between anime and black culture? Um, people watching it. Like there's the thing that the thing that's wild about like, you know, the bigger questions relating to this is like they're simple. Like people just watched it and they liked it. Um and the thing that that made sense is also really simple is like people just identify with the the core concepts of most anime, which is life sucks. You're probably going to have to work way harder than everyone else for mm -hmm. a position that is probably way out of your like league, but you can get there if you stay consistent, you make a lot of friends, and you actively grow as a human being. That is like that is the core of not only like the black struggle, but life's struggle. But because of like every character that in these shonens starting off at like the lowest rung in whatever power scaling nonsense the anime has. Black people can just identify with that, whether they had a good life or not. It's just like, they, they, there's like this instinctual understanding that we're going to work harder, things are difficult, and to rise to the top, it's going to take efforts of ourselves and the community around us. And I think that concept resonates with us so hard that we, we just watch it and uh, we argue about it and we love it and we just, we just vibe on it because it's, it's something we recognize. 
Yeah, because on YouTube, I would actually watch like black YouTube creators or bloggers and talkers and um, commentators talking about like how anime and black culture connect in various levels. And what you said was pretty much like was a broad scope of it, like how in terms of the black in terms of the black struggle about how to get ourselves ahead in life and how anime characters, especially in shonen anime, are basically like the main representations of that and based of how, like you said, they were like 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 how there were the they were the underdogs and then later down the road and, and they started to like develop and they become a little bit more stronger and powerful as and not just in themselves but also with the people around them that supports them and they support them back and vice versa. So yeah, it was like I just wanted to know, like, what is your take in terms of that criteria, that criteria in terms of how black culture and anime connect? But it seems to me it's like kind of like the criteria I hear a lot in terms of uh, when I watch um, YouTube of the people who are talking about it. So, OK, so it there's seems like, a, like there's a little more to it. Like the the thing about what i've what i've learned and watching people talk about like black culture and the black struggle they make it they make it into such a like a tremendous mountain and it's it while it can be if you're living through it it's not and here's what i like everyone has a different level of struggle and dude if you grew up in certain states your life is way worse than whatever i had but what i'm learning as as like as a human is like if I talk about how I have to live to someone who has their life better than mine, my molehill is their mountain. You know, like I have struggles now and they're difficult, but I live them. I live through them day to day and I go about them day to day and I figure out what I want to do day to day. So in a year's time, I'm doing better and this, that, and the other. So pain is relative. I just don't, I've grown to dis like when we we sensationalize the black struggle the black blah 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 because where i love this thing that i saw on tiktok it's like where we put our attention is is where all of our energy goes and if if people who built like black wall street were too busy paying attention to the fact that the government was trying to destroy them there'd be no black wall street if 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 too many black people were focusing on the fact that they understand that there's a systematic like indifference in how they live versus other people there'd be no black excellence there'd be no oprah winfrey there'd be no jay-z there'd be no amazing people in this world hell let's go down from black excellence there'd be no black bankers there'd be no black finance people there'd be no black youtubers like where we focus is where our energy goes and that's where we improve that's why i no longer really enjoy like tell me about the black struggle what is there to say there are a thousand albums, there are a thousand movies, there are a thousand books, there are a thousand poems. There's nothing that I can say now that will help you understand in any better way than, than people who have talked about the black struggle before. If you want to know the black struggle in one place, read Frederick Douglass's autobiography. Everybody read it. Stop asking about the black struggle. Because, like, unless you're actually going to help with legislation, which won't even just help black people, it'll just help America as a whole, then, then stop. Because <clears throat> most people are just talking about... Okay, so there's this, there's this thing that really sucks. In the music industry, what black people sell, like, in, in marketing terms, is struggle. 
most most black people don't make celebratory music and it and if they do it doesn't sell as well as music about the black struggle or that sounds like really sad and that's not me being speculative there's whole ted talks there are whole marketing plans about it you can research it and that's why my goal especially with putting that panel together was like we're not going to talk about the black struggle i don't care you don't care it's not helping us that's why the whole panel was about look how far we come look how cool this stuff is let's all celebrate it let's talk about where we came from so we can all see that we started as like this little tiny speck and became this whole human being because we watched the same shows let's be friends because like i said the shonen arc to success is doing things over and over again getting actively better at it and making strong relationships so if that's what we've put all of our focus on eventually if that, and I mean, like, that's all we put off. One day we will wake up and go, what black struggle? It, it'll, it'll just be that one day. And for a lot of black people who figured that out, it's the same thing for them. What do you mean black struggle? We're all business owners. Like, my best friend is a business owner. He makes so much money, it's disgusting. And I'm focusing on that right now, too. There is no black struggle. It's just the struggle of being an entrepreneur and a content creator and going to work and getting a master's degree at the same time. That's my struggle. There is no black struggle here. It's just so another, struggle at this point. So, so basically, black struggle is not only an exaggerated focus; it's also an unnecessary label, like like black on black crime. It's an unnecessary label. Yeah. It's just it's just crime, or it's just a struggle. So, yeah, okay, yeah. Well, cause... okay. So let me let me let me make a very clear distinction. Like, so black struggle and struggle, I think, are two different things. They're clearly definitely defined. So, what I want to say about like that is is don't this is gonna make a lot of people mad but i don't care don't focus on the black struggle because the black struggle is like if you put it in on a piece of paper it's like police violence the government wants to stop you you're probably gonna have a hard time getting a job this that or the other that's what it is those are things that happen in life they're very real but a lot of those are also very rare occurrences and that you can also get around them because there's tons of blueprints on how like college education being really good at something don't do crime uh stay away from the police certain neighborhoods you can't stay away from the police so i i don't know figure i, I suggest making friends with them or fully understanding legislation so if you get stopped you understand how to handle that situation well like some of that stuff is incredibly nuanced that i cannot speak on because i don't live in certain neighborhoods but I guarantee you, if your entire goal in life is to be like an entrepreneur, a TV person, a, a baller, you will find a way to get there. And even if you shoot for the stars, you will at least get to space. If you don't make it to the NBA, you could be a prize athlete and then you can sell your skills as a personal trainer. Like if we're focusing on the black struggle, which is all these things that we these giant boogeymen, which some are very real that are against us. That's all we're focusing on. Monsters. But if we're focusing on, hey, I want to be this giant success, then the things that we're focusing on are the obstacles in our way to success and how we get around them. And in my experience, and I'm sure many other experiences, when you're focusing on the right things, the, the obstacles in front of you, even if they do come from the black struggle, you will find your way around because you've got, you, you found your way to get there. Like, I have definitely had, like, un unfortunate police stoppings before, but, you know, I know law, so I just didn't have that much of an issue i was also just lucky some people have to you know figure that out for themselves and when you're focused on the right things you will i guarantee you you will always figure it out there will be some heavy setbacks that are not your fault and you can't equate to the black struggle but you can't focus on that because then those monsters just get bigger okay well you know what 
that is actually some pretty good uh, life lessons and also an, a really good philosophy to actually for people who are listening to actually take. It's not always just about the monster. It's just basically the end of the tunnel for your own personal goal or your dream. So, yeah, we're all gonna we all we all we're all people. We're all gonna suffer in our own way in some in, in some way and somehow. So it's not just going to be just like one giant struggle that's just focusing. It's like everyone struggles. You know, everyone goes through a lot of things. So it's it's life is not gonna be easy, but at the same time, you can still make it a little easy for yourself if you want to. Just a little something you can take out of. So, uh, you mentioned in, in your panel, you mentioned anime, certain anime characters that are considered quote-unquote black. Uh, who are they again and why? After what the you- break. Hey, this is Mike McFarlane, and you're listening to Otaku Hour. Show host Jonathan Josar Beltran with a cliff and our special guest. Ah, Jeffrey from Datafist. How y'all doing? Dandy as always. Welcome to your backdoor anime hangout. That is Otaku Hourly. Once again. We are joined with Jeffrey of Datafist talking about his panel over at AX, tackling about black culture and anime. Cliff. Hold on. Your tagline, before we start, I'm sorry, I have to ask. JoJo, is your tagline a double entendre? What do we mean by that? <laughs> your backdoor anime hangout, is that a double entendre? Uh, I guess in a way, yeah. I haven't intended that, actually. Interesting. Hmm. God, I missed you, dude. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. It's been such a long time, and it's always a pleasure. And the fact that we're even doing this is quite amazing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, with that being said, Cliff, take away. Sure, no problem. So, just to repeat before the break, you mentioned anime characters that are considered quote-unquote black. Who are they and why again? Okay, so for those of you who weren't there, uh, come to the next one. I'm hoping to do AX Ontario uh, because it's the, probably the only convention who's like gonna eventually open their fan panel submissions. Um, I, we played a game which I called "Which Characters Actually Black," and the whole point of the game was just to mess with the audience. <laughs> but what I did was, like I said, when I was creating this entire panel, there was ideas on top of ideas. At first, I was just gonna pick characters that were kind of like in the middle to see if like you guys thought they were like black or not black or like would you could you imagine them as black people um but then i was like wait what if i made this like a debate and switch the whole time (laughs) so the first character was piccolo and piccolo is black because okay piccolo is a really interesting really 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 interesting pick because piccolo is black because people decided he's black I don't know when it started, but like, but like everyone just started saying Piccolo's black and it started to make sense. And the rain, main reason was because like Piccolo does not care as much as everyone in the same way. Like black people, in my opinion, are pretty efficient. And I think that's why we started saying, yeah, Piccolo's black. Because he's just like, he's, he's such a hard dad to Gohan when he's like training him. And like we all, a lot of us have military fathers or grandfathers. So like. I guess they equated that to, you know, their dad and their grandpa. And, um, you know, he don't take no guff. 
Like whenever Goku or Vegeta are being ridiculous, he's like, y'all being ridiculous. And that is a very black thing to do. So I think that's why. But I honestly, uh, if I'm being 100% honest, it's just because around middle school or high school, people just started saying Piccolo's black and everyone ran with it. <laughs> and then the second one was Ahsoka Tano. And Ahsoka honestly was uh, chosen because of Rosario Dawson. Like once Rosario took up the mantle of uh, of Ahsoka, so katana i was just like well you know you guys can fight over it but who cares she's black there's <laughs> nothing you can do about it <laughs> and then i had to I, and me being me i had to take it a step further so i put the whitest person on screen which was wonder woman and i'm like oh they're gonna like this and and everybody was just like no wonder woman's not black first off if if Nubia didn't exist, to me, Wonder Woman is black. She keeps Superman and Batman in check. She beats the crap out of everyone. She doesn't take no guff. She gets everything done pretty consistently and does not need the help of anybody. That doesn't describe a black woman. I, I don't know what does. But <laughs> luckily, luckily, like a month or two before, like, I, I got this panel and started working on it. Nubia was announced and she was already in the mantle of Wonder Woman and it was perfect it was perfect because i hit that button and everyone just like lost their minds and wonder woman from the D uh, justice league turned into newbie from the comics and they were just like <laughs> it was fantastic <laughs> yeah yeah like I i've never heard He's new. of newbie until i actually saw yeah yeah until i saw your panel uh, your your screen when you were doing your your panel, I never heard of Nubia, and when I actually did some research, I'm like, wow. So, I was actually new that I was not really expecting when you first show one woman. I'm like, wait, where's he going with this? But then as you explain further, I was like, oh, oh. it's like you got lucky. <laughs> so yeah, okay. To be fair, I did because like I said, Nubia was recently released, and that's one of the reasons why I put it up. Because when I was like, when I put it up, I was like. I don't think anyone's knows who she is and I don't think they're going to figure it out for a long time. Oh yeah, no, I'm totally doing this. And then I also didn't know, I, I can't fully confirm this, but I watched the wonder woman DCAU movie and I think newbie is in it. They didn't really, I don't think they named her in that movie. She's just a woman that wonder woman fights for like the crown, but newbie gives her a run for her money. Like Diana almost loses to newbie in the DCAU movies, which I thought was sick. So, like, when they came out with, like, okay, Wonder Woman's now black because, you know, current, like, old Wonder Woman is now, like, you know, a celestial. I was like, this is perfect. Heck yeah, I'm going to show this to everybody. The, DCA, the DCAU movies or series? Movies. So, like, okay, so there's a DCEU, which is, like, the live action movies, which, in my opinion, are, are like, like you know, they're not as good as the DC animated universe I, movies. Um, yeah, and to be, and, and, yeah. And just so people know... Just so people know, the DC Animated Universe works like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So there's an order you watch the DCAU in, and it culminates with Apocalypse Dark Side War. It's amazing. I think people should look it up and then watch it in order. It pays off so well. It really does. It really, really does. Okay, okay. So, okay, I've got, I'm going to check that out. There's, wow, there's a lot of things I'm going to check out after this interview. So, moving on. Uh, when you were mentioning the, the Wu-Tang Clan on your panel, this actually got me thinking of this question. Rappers nowadays have mentioned popular uh, popular icons like Spider-Man and Goku in their raps. 
In your opinion, why is that, and how does that bridge intersect black culture and anime? Because uh, it does. <laughs> like that question, like kind of answers itself. Like when the moment you say, like, you know, Goku in a rap lyric, that's like rap. Black rap is pretty black. Anime is anime. You smash them together. That's it. That's like the link is the link is in the action itself, um, which is lucky. That's a simple answer. They just the moment you do it, it's there. But um, why do black people rap about anime? Um, because like. We, we just stated a lot of people grew up with it. So when you're getting good at your craft, you're going to put your influences like in there. Like I make content and a lot of it is like around, you know, anime and video games and characters because that's what I like. That's what I'm passionate about. That's like what gets me going. And I think that that's going to happen no matter what you're doing. There's, there's black artists out there who like, who just drew all that stuff as a kid. And now like, the guy who draws all of like Spider-Man and Miles Morales is just this cool black dude. A lot of kids grew up buying Nike sneakers or trying to because they couldn't afford them. And now the guys designing Nike sneakers are black guys who hung out and just sketched shoes. Like the moment you do it, then those two cultures like collide. Um, and the fact that they were influenced by it is why it's happening. Uh, the thing that sucks about it, I'll say, is when... Okay, so uh, that's, it's just... Uh, so a lot of rappers who rap about like anime and stuff... It, if they're mainstream, like the lyric is usually hot doo doo. <laughs> like I was trying to find recent rappers that were like rapping about like anime in the mainstream and that sounded good. Those bars are bad. They're really bad. So I was like, let me go back. And I went back to like Wu Tang because when they when they make pop culture references, like that time, the eighties, that was lyricism. If you got in a cipher and you were bad, people would make fun of you. Don't come back to your better or come back tomorrow and try again, you know? So I had to go further back because the lyrics I kept finding that had like references in them were just, they were just not, that's not something I wanted to showcase. That was not like black excellence. That was black average. I had to look for excellence. I see. I see. It's just, it's just that on YouTube, I would like watch some of these unquote anime rappers. If you were like daddy fashion apps, rustage fable I would like watch some of their music videos and listen to some of their listen to some of the songs and I while mostly when I listen is not just their vocals but also the bars the lyrics like if these words represent the character or represent like the idea of the character that they're singing about I want to hear like I want to hear like pieces of of the of the representation and if i say like and if they add in like a bar like to a switch that makes him makes me think in a different way that's one of the things i love about it you know it's like like with, with wounding clan when they, like when you showcase that video the dude was mentioning like my my neighborhood spider-man i'm Spider -Man. like man yeah. like, yes like, it was smooth like it, it didn't feel like someone naming like sasuke from naruto hip up to baruto i'm like oh oh god dog why did you <laughs> why did you do that i can't yeah, yeah. i can't man like i i do know that there's like a ton of youtubers who are better at it but like the focus was on like mainstream media because everyone in their mama knows everything you're looking for is probably on youtube but the point was like no dude like th this is before youtube was a thing let's talk about the music where mm -hmm. like and, and it, i feel like it's i still feel like people didn't get it like you've got these dudes from staten island who got famous rapping about things that weren't just about like drugs and violence no dudes are rapping about comic books movies nobody has ever seen before using like instruments and all this stuff from multicultures and it 
blows up hard. Like that's amazing. And you know, I, just, I would I would continue to drill this into people. Like understand the reference. You know. <laughs> Yo, right, yo, right. I, nope. I don't mean to cut in, uh, Jeffrey. Please tell me you referenced Del the Funky Homo Sapien. No, I did not. Oh my gosh, bro! I, <laughs> I will in the in the next one, particularly Deltron Thirty Thirty. I think you'll really like it because Del the Funky Homo Sapien is such a nerd, and I think you'll. Okay, love yeah, him. I got him. Good. I got him pulled up great, on my great, YouTube. Great. Also, quick shout out for those who did not know the people I just named, or for those who actually may have actually heard of them. Check out Daddy Fashion Apps, Rushdish, and Fable on YouTube. Listen to some of their songs. If you actually have favorite uh, anime characters, uh, there's a chance that they may have actually have made a song about them. You may actually enjoy it, or maybe like some other type of uh, non-anime characters. There's actually a few of them actually that you may actually find interesting. Feel free to watch them on YouTube. You can actually see them on SoundCloud, MixCloud. Basically, look them up. They're they're actually really really good. I actually downloaded some of their songs that I put in my playlist. I it's, it's most especially Fable. I say he's probably my favorite. I like this dude. <laughs> Otaku Aole, not sponsored by Fable. <laughs> not, not sponsored not by Fable. No, shout out Fable. Uh, uh, sh- uh moving on. Now, this may actually correlate to my previous question in terms of how I say, like, rappers mentioning characters in their songs. But this one is actually a little bit more terms about um, shows. Uh, Shows like X-Men, the animated series, Dragon Ball Z, and Avatar The Last Airbender have left a mark in pop culture. What is it about these types of shows do you think drew in the black audience? Um... Okay, so the the shonen we've already answered, but like shows like the Avatar, those shows came out at a really opportune time. So like this is not about to be profoundness in like black culture. This is just like luck. So when Avatar: The Last Airbender came out, it came out on a channel with like SpongeBob and Ren and Stimpy. So it was like a new shiny jewel. And it was legitimately shiny. The animation was higher quality than any of the other cartoons on the platform. So when mm-hmm. when Aang and Ong, if you watch the M Night Shyamalan version, uh, uh, when, uh, <laughs> when when Aang like hit the scene, people were just like, "Yo, what's this? This this looks this looks like anime. I I watch anime. This is dope." And if you didn't watch anime, it just looked so much more polished than anything that was on Nickelodeon. And mm-hmm. it also came out at a time when we as people were probably like in our pre-teens to teens. Aang was like nine, but they wrote it as a story of like adolescence to adulthood. So the topics were just really meaningful for us growing up. And this is not even relating to anything black. It was just a show that was written really well at the most opportune time possible. uh, That was semi-mature, but also fun on a channel where it was just wacky, wacky, wacky all the time. Like they finally had a show that was kind of just straight up. Like, let's focus on like a serialized show that's going to get you from A to B story-wise versus like the monster of the week or the wacky episode of the week. And the core of Avatar was something that most anime today don't even handle very well, which is, one, what do you do going from a kid to an adult? How do you navigate this? Two, there are dark subjects in there like 
I have power. How do I use that responsibly? Um, not only that, you're dealing with topics that weren't that aren't talked about. Like Avatar: The Last Airbender is a legitimate political drama. There is no war in Bossing Say. That's happening today, like in our actual news. Like there is no global warming, or the Republicans aren't trying to take away your freedoms, and the Democrats don't steal from like you know cultures that they say they enjoy. Like that show has a bunch of like subtopics that are extremely relevant to this day, and they're all mashed together in a way that we can understand because it's through the lens of different sets of characters. You've got the outcast, who's the main character. You have the siblings who are trying to find their way in a society that they don't recognize or really cope with anymore because the water tribe is just old people. They don't like technology and they refuse to like move ahead. And that's all Sokka and, you know, his sister wanted, Tara want to do. They want to move forward and grow as people. Not only that, save the world that their tribe refuses to like acknowledge. And Ang's, Ang's family are just gone, and he has to deal with growing up basically by himself, which a lot of people have to go through because of, like, during our time as kids, divorce rates were incredibly high. They're still incredibly high, but I think it, or at least from our experience, is just what we experienced, so that's what we were focusing on. Then Toph is the wealthy one whose family doesn't respect her wishes, which is real. We make fun of wealthy people all the time, but their lives are not great. Money doesn't equal happy life all the time. It just means you have more access to stuff and you can still mess that up if you don't have a happy home. And that's what Toph had to deal with. And she decided to get away from her family. Whether you're wealthy or unwealthy, a lot of children have to decide to just detach themselves from their family. I love my family. I've detached myself from them multiple times because I wanted to grow as a person and I didn't believe in the way that they were living. And then you had, um, uh, what's his name? The one everyone's in love with, got his eye burnt. Um, Zuko. Zuko. Zuko's story is the worst because it's the most common. A kid trying to get the love of a parent and then being shunned. Like, you would, you think that that's an uncommon story? It's not. That happened in the past, it happens today, and it will continue to happen. All that kid wanted was to be acknowledged by his parent, and he couldn't get it. And the reason he couldn't get it is because his father was not acknowledged by the previous Fire Lord. It's just trauma being passed down. The only one that loved him is his mother, and while he loved her, he needed his father. Because, you know, his father is basically, you know, Elon Musk. Just someone so recognizable he, he believes he needs to like match up to that. That that sucks if you're a kid who's, you know, in a in a household full of someone who's really, really prominent at something. You believe you have to match up to them. My grandfather built the rockets. We can go to space because my blind grandfather made them while blind. Okay? So I have that insecurity every once in a while. So it was it was a show about so many complex and deep topics that are legitimately timeless on a platform that made it stand out like a shining jewel. So it was literally like timing and presence and, and topics that are evergreen. That's what made that show last. And it's, and that's why I said, it's not even just about like the black culture for that show. It's about everyone. Cause that's who that audience hit everyone. If you show a person who doesn't like cartoons, Avatar, the last airbender, I guarantee you they'll fight it until episode like four or five. And then they'll binge it. When I actually first watched Avatar, this may actually sound a bit of a surprise, but when it, when it first came on, I was not on the I was not on the Avatar bandwagon 
until later on. I was actually still pretty much focusing on like on other shows at the time. It was only like like maybe months later that I started watch Avatar: The Last Airbender, and I was like, "Wow, I'm missing a lot because this show is." It's, it's like you said, it's a jewel. Personally, it is like one of the very few rare animated masterpieces in terms of storytelling. It's like, wow, it's really, really, really good. And I couldn't really actually like, and some of the cartoons I was watching, like, yeah, they're okay, but this one was great. And it's like pretty much like, like you said, it was polished. It looked like an anime, even though it was not. And that caused a huge debate among fans. And I still think it's causing a huge debate to this day, which is really unnecessary. But I'm pretty sure, um, hopefully people realize that it's not an anime. It's just anime-influenced or anime-based. But, you know, some are still wanting to actually prove... But, you know, some prefer to stay stubborn on that on that topic. But I digress. But, uh... Okay, so it does not necessarily have to be focuses on the black audience. It's just for everyone. So I can actually, like, I actually respect that, you know, because even though I feel like this is mostly just, like, black-focused, I'm glad you also are actually including everyone, not just us, us African-Americans, uh, solely on this interview. You just also want to include other people because they also, too, also share the same enjoyment as we do. So I, it's not I just that. It's not just that. Um, Like, this is going to surprise you, but... You know, I'm not I'm not a fan of anything that's like black exclusive. It makes no sense. We spent hundreds of years fighting to be included in a massive community. <laughs> so like black exclusive anything makes no sense. Now, I totally understand the need for like you to be in a community of people that look like you because it's easy. However, that should be the minimum. Like and we already have that. We call them cookouts or, you know, we hang out with like friends that look like this, but I think that should be the extent of it because the reason we've gotten to where we are today. And like I said, the blueprint to getting even further is to integrate with as many cultures as possible, learn them, respect them and let them learn us so they can respect us. So we don't have these issues of otherism. Like, the community that I think we can like closely model ourselves off of is like the Jewish community because the Jewish community from my experience is the most, Oh my God, they're the most, they've got their, 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 you know, private groups, but that's usually just like church and then maybe some businesses. But since they're so entwined and they understand themselves so well, those two little spots for them or uh, synagogue, those two little spots for them have a massive effect. So, like, if we're doing cookouts, that, that's the place to, you know, have fun with your family and do a little business if you're doing business. That way, that little amount of time goes super far because we're getting tons of stuff out the way. Because that's what happens from my experience in the Jewish community. You go to the synagogue, you hang out, you pray, you show that you love the rest of your community, and you do business. And you do whatever else that you're doing. And because you all are a part of the same community, when you need each other, you get it. And that gets you very far. And then whoever is like an, you know, I guess they call it ally to the Jewish community. They work really well with them. And of course, Jewish people in my experience are just really nice. I think that's the secret sauce to success. Have your little communities, but keep them on a minimum. We don't want to be focused on 
black people only all the time. Makes no sense. That's a recipe for destruction. It's called the Water Tribe, and they were basically destroyed. Um, whenever you enclose yourself, you start missing out on all those things that make you know the world better and those updates there's still like places in the world that, that are rejecting technology so we just like kind of run them over so you don't want to be an exclusive group exclusivity is great for small communities but then you must incorporate everything so you can continue to grow and evolve because we're still creatures we're still animals we need to evolve so that's why i prefer to integrate as many people as possible yeah i'm talking about black culture and and it's and it's educating black people, but I want to educate more than just black people. Because if you're educating more than just black people, then when stereotypes are brought up, everyone's either laughing because you know jokes, or they fully understand that that's a stereotype that is unmitigated, and we stop becoming the other. We become that's my neighbor Jim, or that's my neighbor Jeffrey. He makes videos, so that's why, in my personal opinion, I will never really uh, go like black people only this that or the other. It just it doesn't work in the long run. Like I get, we need it in certain, some instances where it's just like, let's be together, figure stuff out. But then we still have to go into the world and make friends with others. That's how I think it should run. That's why I, I talk the way I do. I'll get back to that one a little later, but because I want to get into the last question, but we'll continue yeah. on with that, um, with that top. We'll put a pin on that topic for now. I just okay. want to get, I was, I was to get on to the last question. So, what do you think the future holds for new upcoming fans in the black community? Oh my God. It's there's so much. It's nuts. Okay. So there are these companies that have been, that have just sprung out of nowhere where like, we've got like black comic book creators. Now there's an anime coming out that is based off of a black comic book, which is honestly, if I'm being like reductionist, it's like black, my hero academia, which sounds amazing. And the moment it's animated, I'm watching it. I don't care if it's bad. It's going to be good enough to watch because it's just going to be sick. So uh, there's, you know, there's not only that, but what's really amazing, like so amazing is Japan already knows that a huge chunk of the people that watch anime are black. And what's great is like there's these great interviews with the writers where they go like, yeah, it, it makes no sense that we have all these weird stereotypes about black characters that's why yeah, we go out of our way to write good ones so like the the writer of that was that was written by the writer of bleach he's like yeah man, it, yeah he, there was an interview where he's just like yeah man i don't understand why there's not better representation of black people in anime it just makes no sense so yeah we just kind of sat down and we wrote a bunch of cool interesting black characters and we put them in the show and i'm like what and it, not just him just like the guy who wrote Bleach and a few other artists know, like, this This is, like, a thing. Black people watch our stuff. or And not even just that. It's like, why aren't we representing them? It, you know, they're, they're in our country. They watch our stuff. And they exist in the world. And they tend to write stories that are, like, a problem for the entire world. So why are we not putting them in there, you know? So I think that's amazing. So what's in store is we're going to have... We're going to have more black related content but it's going to be a trickle it's not going to be a flood because you still have to understand that like what i'd like to say is like japan draws white people <laughs> so like everybody you see in anime is white and and the main reason is because like it's easy to sell a white person and japan knows that they don't even make japanese characters they're just white with japanese names they are fully cognizant of that and they're getting more interesting by bringing in more cultures and they understand that that's working but 
they're still going to focus on what Japan does best because Japan is a country that makes their business decisions based on seniority. In America, if I come out with a show that is all Mexicans and it does $10 billion, a bunch of companies are going to copy me. In Japan, if you put out a, an anime that's mostly Mexican, they're going to be like, good job. We're going to make 16 shows about white people. Maybe we'll experiment with like a culturally diverse show in the future because the people who run the show in Japan are old people, just like kind of America. But in Japan, it's way more intense. Like a person who has seniority in Japan who is less qualified will be your manager. So that's kind of the you have to understand the business side of that. So all of the innovations in terms of animation will come from black people or people of color who are making cartoons on their own and stuff like that, like the. The Dragon Ball Z Legend movie was made by a Canadian crew, and it was amazing. So stuff like that will happen from crews that are POC run, who will make stuff for themselves. Like there was a, there's several trailers out there about an anime set in Egypt that looks sick that I can't wait to watch. So it's it's gonna be a trickle, but those rain those trickle raindrops will be heavy ones. They will be fantastic, and I think we won't see like a, a really interesting flood of more people of color for another like five to six years i know that doesn't sound optimistic but you have to remember japan is very slow america is very slow and the indie circuit is slower because of finances so all of this will be slow unless there's a breakout show that makes a disgusting amount of money that everyone can monetize so it'll be slow but it'll be worth it because it'll have the the dna of the creators in it and that that will be sick and like we already have miles morales so once these people start catching up then we'll have companies who are forced to put respect on a character's name so we'll get mainstream stuff that rocks still watered down but rocks and we'll get indie stuff that's like more closer to what we were hoping for it'll just be slower okay okay uh when you mentioned like i about this black character i I'm, i could be wrong but there was like this upcoming manga or show about like the first very first black female shonen protagonist is that what you're talking about there's so many man and like i no it's not unfortunately but there's so many that's that's the point is we have to we i can't wait for them to just show up in the spotlight because i didn't even hear about that one the ones that i know of are there's a comic that that's set in egypt that they're making an anime for there's the my hero academia clone with black people that's going to be sick there's um what else is there? Like we had we had Cannon Buster, which is just kind of like Black Cowboy Bebop. Didn't do too well, but it was still a fun show. Uh, yeah. And what else? There are a few other projects that are coming out. And the thing that sucks is I can't name them because they're so indie. They don't have enough marketing for me for them to live in my brain. And that's what we're waiting for, where they get to the point to where they're done and they can put a marketing schedule together. And then they could just push it out and hopefully it catches an audience so we can start really getting our eyes on all of these indie projects to see them. Like, so it's going to, it's going to take some time, but we're getting, we're getting there. Like one of the biggest shows or one of the more active shows on Cartoon Network is Craig of the Creek, which I think is sick. I like Craig of the Creek. Someone made an anime opening of Craig of the Creek and it was perfect. So we're, we're getting there. It's going to take more time. Like I said, because all, all levels of the industry are slow, but we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's it's slow it's slowly but surely. Yeah, definitely. And like I said, I think what's going to if 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 it is shorter than 3 if 5 to 7 years, it's because one of the projects takes off so hard that it either gets picked up by a bigger company or one of these small companies go big and they 
they they do the business correctly and go slow and we'll start seeing more and more poc like characters and stories or at least integrations into the anime or white centric stories that exist wow so that well basically that's all of my questions we did a whole lot of impactment there uh, I appreciate your one two sense of your not only your opinions but also your thoughts and your feelings of how um, my questions represent for you and how you actually gave me your one two sense about it. I truly do appreciate that data fist. Um, is there any other like last minute lesson that you actually want to? give the audience and as well as the crew in Otaka Hourly something that may we act something that we may uh want to take in regarding about the questions I gave you. Yeah, um like I know we all grew up like hearing like oh all this stuff is rotting your brain but I, I feel I feel the exact opposite. Like I think that if you love something and you pay attention to it like intention intentionally. Like if you're watching a show and you break it down and you really pay attention to it these writers are kind of giving you shortcuts and the blueprints to life. So, like, take them. Goku doesn't become the greatest because, you know, you know, his alien DNA definitely helps, but he still has to put in, like, thousands of hours of training in really distinct settings. And all these other protagonists, they're doing the, the same training. They're making friends. They're relying on friends. They're doing right by their friends. They're not giving up. And we see them in worse positions than we'll ever be in. Like, watch, if you're watching a show, pull from it. Like, I think that's what helped a lot of people. When you see these anime nerds that are buff as hell, they pulled from anime. They were like, I want that body. And they figured out that the only way they can get it is by going into the gym and eating right. And now they have the body that they want, you know? So, when you watch a show, and since it's already taking up so much of your time, take those life lessons and use them, you know? Go make friends. Hang out with them. Find a goal that's worth doing. Chase it with friends or a good community because that is, that, that's it. There is no, there are no cheat codes out there other than that. Like, it's so simple, it's complexly difficult. Work hard. Pick a goal. Make friends. Don't give up. And you will, you will get there. And I know it sounds like glittery nonsense, but unfortunately that's what it is the things that suck that they don't tell you about chasing the things that you want is there will be rope bumps there will be speed bumps and the saying that my family says a lot sometimes you got to do what you got to do until you can do what you want to do so you know i work a nine to five i am chasing a master's degree right now i am making content from the bottom up and i'm also trying to run a business i have no time I'm sacrificing a lot of like friends and times with other people, but I'm focusing on making friends with people who are doing exactly what I want to do. So I can not only encourage myself to do it, but have help along the way. I won't probably make any real headway in this for three years. So I have to show up for three years, making content, learning how to do it better, probably by myself for a long time before I get even a lick of real recognition. Same thing with business. I could be running my business for like one to three years without any real high profit margins for a long time because I have to market. I have to innovate because social media management is a dime a dozen. I have to do it in a way that makes people want to pay me for it. And then I can scale it so I can do more. 
The things that you want to do will take time. They will take energy. They will take patience. That's why you want to have the goal so you know where you're going. That's why you want to have the friends so there's no negativity around you. It's the people around you that are encouraging you and you're encouraging them. You pick your friends wisely because if you have the wrong friends who are doing the wrong things, you need to decide how much time to spend with them. I have friends that I love that I don't hang out with that much because their life path is different from mine and I'm really focusing on business and content creation, which takes a long time and they want to do something else. I chat with them, but I need to hang out with friends who are doing this, going my same direction because it's going to help me keep going and I can help them and that'll make my life brighter. So yeah, do those things. And even if you don't reach the, like I said, if you don't reach the moon, you'll at least get to space. (laughs) So yeah, that's my, that's where I end. And a follow up on that. What's, what's next for data fist? What's next for me is I noticed that like uh, a lot of people want my help. So I'm trying to really um, focus on content creation right now because a lot of people like my energy, but I'm trying to figure out the best way to get it on social media. Because when I make videos, I don't feel like it's the energy that people love for me live. And I've got a lot of people going, like, if you put that on the internet, you will be famous or you will be fine. And it's time for me to like nut up and actually pay attention. So What's next for me is I'm going to be making videos on Instagram and TikTok. Those are the two things I'm focusing on the most. Right now, I'm doing a series called Cracked or Whack because it's fun. Trying to what also is working politic-wise for each platform, what kind of content I'm going to make. And I'm also focusing on taking these panels to as many conventions as possible because when I do live shows, my numbers are boosted. I reach more people and I can help more people. So basically, that's my that's grow an audience and help the audience and live shows because I love live shows and so do people. So that's what's next for me. Follow me on TikTok and Instagram, Datafist, D-A-T-A-F-I-S-T. Uh, you will find me. Uh, I don't care if you don't subscribe. I don't care if you don't like. I just want comments because I'm mainly doing this for a lifestyle. I really want good friends to hang out with on the internet. The numbers and the money and all that nonsense will come. Just comment on my videos. Let's have a chat. Let me make content based on what you're talking about. Let me make you feel loved and represented. That's what I'm going to be doing for the next like couple years. And then... and when I hit a level of success, I would be doing way more thanks to everyone. Great, great. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. Just coming over to Otaku Riley to just to hang out. And yeah, no, it's been a while. And once again, we appreciate yeah. your time. I appreciate you guys interviewing me. I was like, I was hoping I'd get on like a show or a podcast, but you guys made it happen. So sweet. Now I gotta say, you know, keep it rolling. Thank you guys. There were some really good questions. You did a great job, Cliff. Appreciate Thank it. You. And Thank you. you. All- yeah, you also like summed up like what I said in, in different ways, which could like potentially help people because I know I speak really uniquely and not everyone can understand what I'm saying sometimes. So I appreciate like the summaries. So this is, this is a great experience. Yeah, man. Uh, you're welcome. Cool. I actually. Hmm? Yeah, no, that's that's Cliff, man. That's all him. As as a fellow nerd, I actually like to, or should I say, a fellow geek nerd, whatever. I don't I don't really care. I like to simplify when people actually go full on passionate about in terms of pop culture because I grew up with that stuff too. So when people actually like when they say things that seem to others seem like over uh, over uh, analyzed, I simply say like I'm like the translator. He's like basically saying dot dot dot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so let's let's go sign off. I'm your show host Jonathan Jostar Beltran here with the crew. This is your boy the Cliff with our special and guest. I'm, and I'm Jeffrey from Datafist. Find me on TikTok and Instagram D A T A F I S T. 
We'll see you all at the next Backdoor Anime Hangout that is Otaku Hourly. Peace out, y'all. Ooh, double entendres. <laughs> <laughs>